The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome to the Rayhan and Nia Radio Show, Season 3, Episode 23, October 4th, 2023. Broadcasting on the U.S. Arab Radio Network on WNZK AM 690 Radio in Detroit and on WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C. Sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region at ArabNews.com. This week, we speak with two great guests with fascinating stories to tell about their government services to Arab Americans. First, Farah Khan, mayor of Irvine, California. Mayor Khan has been a groundbreaking leader making history in 2020 as the first woman of color and the first Muslim woman to lead a major city in the United States. Reelected in 2022, she has continually been a trailblazer in policy and public service. Mayor Khan's commitment to inclusiveness and equality mirrors the core values of the Arab and Muslim community. She is a major speaker at the ADC Alex Oda Conference in Anaheim, California this weekend, October 6th and October 7th. And our next guest, of course, Maria Pappas, the Cook County Treasurer. She's one of the highest vote getters in Cook County in Illinois and one of the state's most popular elected officials. Pappas has been treasurer since 1998 after serving several terms on the Cook County Board. Cook County has more than 6 million residents. Pappas recognized that among those residents, many ethnic Americans were not able to engage government services. So she decided to do something about it. We're gonna talk to her about how she translated her website into 127 languages, including reaching out to Arab Americans and helping them with the services that her office uh, offers. But first, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali Abagdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali Abagdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in her authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seat guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. With more than 30,000 successful in vitro fertilizations, IVF Michigan is now ranked as one of America's best fertility clinics according to Newsweek magazine. IVF Michigan fertility centers are the recognized leaders in high-quality fertility care. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and nine other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. 
A founding member, American Board Certified Dr. Nicholas Shama, is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. He has performed over 20,000 successful IVF cases and it's helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. When it's time to get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at one of America's best fertility clinics, call IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio toll-free at 855-952-9600. 855-952-9600. And welcome back to the Rayhan and Nia radio show. I'm Rayhan and Nia. My first guest, as I mentioned, is Farah Khan. She is the mayor of Irvine, California first woman of color, and the first Muslim woman to lead a large, a major U.S. city. We're really honored to have her on the show. Uh, Mayor Khan, thank you so much for joining us on the radio show. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, just to kind of introduce yourself to the audience, maybe, I'm sure some many people have heard of you, but it'd be nice for them to hear about your background and why you got into politics. Tell us a little bit about your background and what motivated you to get into politics. So, you know, my background is in biotech. So I started off uh, being a regulatory affairs manager for a biotech company uh, up in Northern California. Then my husband with our two little boys, we moved to Southern California for his business. Um, and then I kind of transitioned from there to the business side and, um, you know, started working with the community, volunteering my time and ended up being the executive director of a local nonprofit and uh, through that work, I got to really be involved in the community, which kind of sparked my interest for politics, uh, but always behind the scenes. Um, and it wasn't until 2014, I was uh, volunteering on a campaign. And after an event, we were kind of all sitting around talking. And I'd mentioned that, you know, um, I really would look forward to more diversity when it came to leadership roles and elected officials. And the candidate's husband at the time uh, said to me, well, I hope you're not thinking about running. And I said, you know, I'm not, but why not? And he said, because people like you with names like yours are unelectable. Right. And that was 2014. Wow. And, you know, wow. no one in the room said anything. No one said that that's wrong or, you know, that's not true. It was just complete silence. And so, you know, driving home, I'm talking to my husband, I'm talking to my sisters, and I'm just like so enraged. Like, how are we... Even today, hearing comments like this and thinking that it's okay, and it just didn't settle well with me. So I ran for the first time for city council in 2016. I didn't win that year, I lost, but I was fourth out of 11 candidates that were running and gained a lot of local attention. Um, and then folks that really encouraged me to run again. And so in 2018, I ran again, came in first out of 12 candidates for city council. And then of course, 2020, we had um, not only the pandemic, but the um, social injustice issues that we were faced with. And a mayor at the time that just didn't get the community's needs um, was responding to people with, if you don't like the city I live in, go find another city to live wow. in. And it was, and that was in the LA Times. And wow. so, uh, you know, it, it really bothered me that no one was stepping up to challenge her only because she was not only an incumbent, but a 20 year incumbent She'd never lost any of her campaigns. Um, but again, it was that drive of, we can't just sit here and not do anything. So being in a safe seat, I, I challenged her uh, because if I lost, I still stayed on the council. Um, and um, thankfully in November of 2020, I beat her by 15,000 votes. 
Wow. And so, um, you know, uh, had the great honor of leading the city and of course won my reelection in 2022, um, which ends um, in December of 2024. So you ran in 2016, you said for council or the city yes. council That's right. in Irvine. And you, you lost that election? I did. How, how tough was that? I mean, a lot of people would be discouraged when they lose. And yet you came back two years later because I assume your city council half runs one two year and That's the other right. half runs the other two year. So, and you came back and ran. That's so against the grain. And being a Muslim woman, uh, being from uh, the Muslim world, and I'm sure most people look at you and think you're Arab or you're whatever. They don't understand the difference between Pakistanis, Palestinians, Iranians, no. and Egyptians or whatever. Um, you come from a society where women are told, hey, step back, let the man do all the talking. You just broke out of that so quickly. Did you feel that you were breaking out of a shell or image and stereotype when you ran in 2016? It was kind of hard because I think I was, it, it didn't feel as big as, as it became because I just felt like I was breaking out of my own personal shell where, you know, I was very um, introvert and, and not the outgoing person and, uh, you know, sat in the back of the classroom. That was me. But I think it was that driving force of, you know, all the negativity in 2016. I'll tell you, I didn't want to run again after that campaign because it was just so brutal. Uh, there right. were signs throughout the city that was basically said that I was a terrorist uh, that linked me with, um, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood and, and that, um, you know, I was supported by all, all these uh, organizations and, and made me out to be a this scary person. And I was just like, my gosh, you know, for people that know me, I'm like the shyest person there, um, you know, so so it was also me fighting against that. Um, and most of that campaign, you know, I would come home uh, and, and just cry my eyes out and, and just be like, what is this? Like, I heard politics was nasty and it was bad, but I didn't know how horrible it got where people that you consider your friends when it comes to politics aren't your friends. Um, and there's just so much of a struggle. But I do have to say there were key people uh, in the community and in politics uh, that reached out and, and basically said, you've got to run again. You've got to do it. You don't stop at the first time. And if it wasn't for their push, I, I probably wouldn't have um, run again. And then I'm so glad I did because the second time around, I felt more confident and, and really pivoted from the attacks that happened. So the attacks, of course, continued you know, pitting me against uh, all other communities, you know, making me that that one person that no one really understood or liked or should be scared of. Uh, but I pivoted because I then reached out to um, people that I knew in the community. So religious leaders from all backgrounds, community leaders, and I had them start writing letters of support and putting those out in the newspapers and really fighting people. They diminished who I was you know, they didn't take into account my biotech background or my business background or my nonprofit background. They wanted to show me as this just a PTA mom, like, oh, there she is. She's just a PTA mom. And I took that and I ran with it. And I said, let me tell you what PTA moms accomplish. You know, we, like, we budget for our kids. We make sure we're raising funds that are equitable across the board for our schools. We work with our teachers and our principals. We get the job done and it's hard work. So if PTA moms are out there, 
know that we do have a place at the table and we should be fighting for higher office. And that really just converted people's thoughts from, oh my gosh, like, you know, here she is getting beat up and now she's fighting back. And you do have to fight back and stand up for yourself. Uh, because if you don't, I mean, politics eats you up alive. You're it, clearly, you are a fighter. And I think that is so impressive. Uh, you don't, I can tell by your personality that nothing is going to tell you not to talk. No, no one is going to tell you not to do something. Did that man who ever said your kind, you know, whether he was trying to be friendly or maybe it was, you know, I don't, I don't know when people get angry, I don't always assume they're racist. I assume they either don't know or they just go with the flow of the past. No. Did he ever call you up and congratulate you or say, no. wow, I was wrong? No. Do you no. ever run into him? No, he actually moved out of the area. So, <laughs> Oh, there you go. That's usually what happens sometimes when we move in. Um, but I, I'm so excited to have you. Now, I know that, uh, you know, when I mentioned earlier, Americans, when they look at you, they don't know what your background is. They say, oh, Muslim, you must be. There's one stereotype, one image of Muslims and Arabs were all the same, they think. Right. Um, but how, what is, tell us about the community in Irvine. Did you win because the Muslim and Arab and Pakistani and Indian community, did they come out in support of you or were they really a small part of it? And did you win by appealing to the non-Muslim, non-Arab and non-Pakistani community? Oh, you know, if you look at the demographics in Irvine, you've got about, you know, 40 to 43% Caucasian, you've got 40% that are API, and the largest of those are the Chinese, Korean, uh, and Korean communities. Um, when you look at the Muslim population, one, it's hard to tell because there's no data that collects it, right. uh, but we estimate based on names and, and, and things that we can link. So you're looking at anywhere from like 5 to 8% um, that are Muslim, and then that would include the Pakistanis and and um, the Arab and, um, but there is also um, quite a few uh, Persians uh, in, in Irvine, but again, not the vast majority um, like we see uh, as Caucasian or um, the Chinese or the Korean communities. So yeah, I did have to reach out to those communities and then get support from just about everyone. And that makes your victory even more, uh, uh, you know, uh, powerful because you didn't win just on the basis of one community trying to put you in office. You had That's to reach right. out to everybody and win them over. And apparently you did. What was the issue that in that 2018 issue that was there one or two issues that really stood out that resonated with voters um, that you connect, that connected them to you, that helped you win your seat. And then in the mayoral race, a couple of years later, was there, it was it the same issue or a different issue. So the first time around in 2018, a lot of the issues were around housing, transportation, the environment, uh, and those were all three things that I was leading on and then even showed some of the work I'd done uh, prior to even being elected. Uh, and also, um, you know, I, I ran on uh, making sure that we were going to uh, make our community more inclusive, um, you know, because of the, the, the hate that I faced, I wanted to make sure that no one else in our city uh, was, you know, uh, pinpointed at, as, and um, just, you know, the, the xenophobia, the bigotry, all of that stuff needed to be dealt with. And so those are some topics that I spoke of. And I think those really resonated with our API community as well. Um, 
But when it came to 2020, it was totally different. It was, you know, all pandemic. It was social injustice. We have about an 11% um, um, Hispanic American population and probably a 2.5% Black population. Um, and when they came out, especially the Black community during the Black Lives Matter um, rallies, I was at the very first rally and several others after that. And I, you know, remember our mayor at the time really pointing me out using my pictures at the rally saying, oh, she's out there trying to incite violence. Wow. Um, and yeah, and that, you know, um, that I was against the police and I wanted to, um, you know, eliminate safety in the city. And really that targeting um, of me, I'm like, okay, she's targeting me right now just as one person, but that's how our communities get targeted day after day. And so I really made an effort to uplift the community's voices and make sure that their issues were being heard. And so that campaign was all about doing the right thing for the pandemic. And of course, um, standing up and speaking out for social injustice issues. That That's an amazing story. And uh, um, it, it's just so good to hear this and it spreads the word to other people that in our communities that uh, don't shy away from politics. It isn't gonna be easy, right? If you're gonna get into politics. Yeah. But once you get in, you can do so much. Do you feel you've been able to do a lot, not just for the Arab and Muslim communities, um, but also for the non-Arab and Muslim communities that you represent, the majority community? Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like I've been on a treadmill racing <laughs> for the past five years uh, because it's, it's you know, you, you're up against time. And so one of the first things I did when I became mayor was I established the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee and um, I appointed, uh, you know, an African-American man that I met at one of the rallies uh, um, on the committee to really uplift the voices of, of our community members. But through that committee, we have done so much as far as being able to outreach into our, our general population and making sure we were celebrating uh, each other. For the first time in our city's history, we celebrated Juneteenth, we celebrated Hispanic heritage, and we celebrated Mid-Autumn Festival. And, um, you know, and, and last year, uh, I held a Ramadan event uh, at City Hall and it wow. brought our Muslim community together. And so, you know, those are the ways that we really bring our community together to understand each other, to learn about our cultures and our religions and, and not to be afraid. And I think that's something that has really uh, sparked an interest in our community members where they are coming out like the first time um, a council member and I were talking about Mid-Autumn Festival um, is very popular in the Chinese and, and um, Asian communities. Um, you know, the, he and I basically were like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll gauge about 250 people. If even 100 come, that'll be great. So I had uh, 250 mooncakes. He brought 250 boba uh, drinks and we sat out at the Great Park and 2,000 people showed up. Wow, wow. And that told us that, you know, when you make even the smallest effort to bring people together, they come out because they're craving it. And so we just ran with that year after year since then uh, to make sure that even the smallest population, I'll tell you, I get so much hate on social media. The last time Still? we celebrated Hispanic, of course, Oy. the last time we celebrated Hispanic heritage, uh, there were so many comments on, you know, there's such a small population. It's only like 11%. Why are we so focused on them? That's exactly why we're focused on them. And I don't care if you're 0.5% of the population in our city. 
we're going to celebrate you and we're going to make sure that you feel like you're a part of this city. It seems like if you're a small minority, um, there should be an effort to recognize you because you're a small part of a society. Society or your community is going to overlook you unless someone yeah. like you lifts them up. I assume that a lot of non-Arab, non-Muslims, uh, white members of the community and others probably learn more about our communities because they have someone like you at the helm. Absolutely. I mean, you see the people that are coming out to these events, you know, and they're not just there for the, the music or the food or the, the art, but they're actually having interactions. They're getting to know their neighbors or meeting new friends. They're understanding what the culture is all about. And that's what's important. And when you, as a, one of the questions, actually, let me go to this one about what, what do you think are the top three issues that your administration as mayor wants to address, uh, is addressing and wants to change or improve? Are there, I mean, there may be more, but I mean, just, you know, what would those three big issues be to you, for you as mayor of Irvine? You know, it's so hard to, to um, narrow it down to three, but I would say the three biggest issues that we have been consistently working on um, has been housing, transportation, and of course the environment, but also safety. You know, Irvine has been listed as the safest city in the nation 17 consecutive years, um, and, and that's really important. Um, but housing really, you know, when I first ran in, in 2016 and 2018, I was the only candidate out there talking about, I wanted to, um, you know, work with our developers and, and deliver on housing. And, and I got beat up for that because people were like, don't build any more homes. It's getting too crowded. But, you know, constantly sharing our stories of what brought us to the city. Um, for me, it was my kids. I wanted the best education for them. I wanted the safe environment for them. And that's a similar story for so many people that who are we to shut the door after we get in? And I think, you know, that resonated with people. And now, you know, with all the expenses that are happening, and the housing costs, you know, people are realizing that there are kids that grew up here that are now graduating from college can't even afford to come back to the city. So we do need more housing and we need a, a, a diverse set of housing uh, that accommodates, especially affordable housing, workforce housing that accommodates for our population. So that has shifted a lot. Now, when you run for office, are you uh, a partisan politics like Republican or a Democrat or are you nonpartisan? So the office, the local offices are always nonpartisan, but everyone knows. Right. I mean, you know, right. um, I'm a Democrat and, and that's what I run on. And 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 um, even though but, the office is nonpartisan, you know, you get the word out. But you can work with everybody regardless of their political. Absolutely. Right. And how there's one big issue that we hear about in the southern part of the U.S. I don't know if it's hit California or Irvine, but it's this the migrant issue, it just seems like so many people are coming in and it puts people in a weird position, I think, where on the one hand, my parents are immigrants. They immigrated to this country and right. we have to have an immigrants immigration system that's open to everybody. But on the other hand, that it seems like it's beyond the legal aspects of immigration. How do you view this issue of, of migrants and immigrants and undocumented what, what's your perspective on it, given where you come from? You know, I, I feel that our federal system, when it comes to immigration, just, I mean, someone's got to take the lead and fix it. 
um, we wouldn't have an issue with migrants or undocumented if that system worked. Right. Um, but for the meantime, we do have populations of migrants and undocumented people mm -hmm. that are here, and it's our job to make sure that you know they, they are integrated into into our communities, that they are provided um, with opportunities um, so they can survive. Um, and and it's, it's very important. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken up, um, you know, at rallies and 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 other places, written letters to our Congress people, really encouraging them to do what's right. And and you know, it's it's bad for us. It's bad for our economy that we don't fix this system, and it's hurting the people that are here. They're not here because they just wanted to cross the border and come. They're fleeing situations that are harmful and sometimes deadly for them. And they're trying to protect themselves and their families. So now that they're here, what are we doing to make sure that they are safe, that they have a path forward, and that they are able to become you know, thriving members of our communities? So it's really a federal issue where the federal government really should fix the system as you say but in the meantime how do you turn your back on somebody that needs food that needs shelter regardless of how they got here uh you know as long as they haven't committed crimes they're all right. trying to do whatever they can do the right way um, we have to be helpful to them we do and then it's unfortunate that a lot of times you know employers take advantage of those that are undocumented um because they're not getting the same wages that everyone right. else is, they're being abused uh, when it comes to labor laws. And so there's a lot of work to be done. And so whatever we can do here at the local level to support the people, we will do, but definitely at the federal level, more needs to be done like right now. Well, just talking to you, I know you're definitely not a person who's who is willing to just say, hey, this is as far as I've gone and I don't need to go any further. Although I'm sure that, and you are, from what I've heard from everybody, you're a great mayor. Um, but I also understand that you're going to be running for Orange County Board of Supervisors in District 3. How many uh, board members, are, how many districts are there? And there is that districts. around? Is And what's the main city in that district? So the main city is Irvine in the district that I'm running in. It's about 40% of the district. Um, and it includes uh, six, seven other cities and some unincorporated land as well. And that's in Orange County. So that gives you a strong base then, um, you know, having been elected in one of the lar in one of the largest portions of that uh, county uh, district, um, you have an opportunity to kind of uh, expand these great ideas that you have to a broader audience beyond Irvine. How is it going? So far, so good. You know, I'm, I'm up against an incumbent. I you know, people laugh and they're like, this is, you made this your thing to um, run against incumbents. But really, uh, I wouldn't have run if I felt the person was doing their job. You know, when it comes to homelessness, when it comes to housing, when it comes to, again, immigrant resources, uh, when it comes to the environment, um, when it comes to transportation, uh, this person is not doing their job. In fact, during the pandemic, he held on to funds that were provided to the county and their districts for people. And I remember sending emails saying, look, we're struggling. We need money here. Can you send some down to our city? And we got just barely the bare minimum. So how are you able to help people if you don't even get the funds? And how are you able to sit in that seat knowing that you have funds that you're not dispersing out to the community in the time when they need it the most? And so really that's, that's what it comes down to is 
um, again, you know, we need better representation that's going to commit to doing the work and being there for the residents and the businesses and workers of this district. And that's exactly what I'm hoping to do. And have you filed for it or is that something that you announced for that you're going to be filing for? I did for? announce. Yeah, just about a month ago I announced okay. and filing will be coming up shortly. Um, but right now it's, you know, it's raising those funds to be able to reach out. Um, it's over 600,000 people in the district. Um, and so definitely wow. need, need to have enough um, in, in our, uh, you know, accounts so that we can get the mailers and the signs and the digital and ads going. And what's the uh, campaign website, if you don't mind? It's conforsupervisor.com. All right, I'll make sure that gets out. Um, any final thoughts, Mayor Khan? Anything else? Uh, again, we're talking about you, we're talking about your office, we're talking about politics, society, and uh, the future of uh, an important community of Arabs and Muslims and Pakistanis and um, making change and bringing change. And the best way to open the eyes of the American people as to who we really are is to be in their face and show them that when you're in office, you do so much far better than some of the people that have been in that office before. Any final thoughts, any other comments or issues you'd like to bring up? I, you know, I do. I, I think it's very important for our community, especially to get involved in politics. You know, one of the basic ways of doing that is being informed and voting, but uh, you know, we need more people to run for office, uh, to be in the community, to understand the community's needs, uh, run a strong campaign and win. Um, you know, it, it can't be just one-offs like me here and someone else, you know, uh, one county down. Uh, we need more. And, and really, uh, my focus has been encouraging um, the next generation of people coming up to look at public office as an opportunity to serve and, and to do good in the community. So. I am here for anyone that needs help or, or would like mentorship because I'd love to see more of our faces and our names out there when it comes to politics and leadership. I hope to be at the ADC conference where you're going to be one of the speakers at the Alex Oda uh, ADC convention. Um, and when I'm there, I hope that I'm uh, honored to get a chance to actually meet you in person. My guest is uh, Mayor of Irvine, California, Farrah Khan. Farrah, uh, Mayor Khan. Just the show respect. I've covered City Hall for years, um, but uh, I just want to say thank you so much for joining our program today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with our next guest right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Ziad Brand, quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. Were you recently at the emergency room? 
urgent care or at your doctor's office being told you need a hand, wrist, or elbow specialist? At the Katranji Hand Center, we offer the latest techniques in hand, wrist, and elbow care. From sports injuries to work injuries to everyday hand, wrist, and elbow problems, the specialists at Katranji Hand Center are here to get you back on track. Call us in Troy today at 248-869-4263 or visit us at katranjihandcenter.com to schedule your appointment today. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Najee Aboud at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Najee Aboud now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design. New location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Najee Aboud, 734-744-9796. And welcome back to the radio show. It's Ray Hanania here on the U.S. Arab Radio Network. So I got a great guest. I first met her, I don't know how many years ago, back in the early 90s, I think, when she was a Cook County commissioner. So smart, so innovative, always had some great ideas. And today, she is one of the most popular elected officials, not just in Cook County, but in the state of Illinois. She is now the treasurer of Cook County, Maria Pappas. Maria, welcome to the radio show. That's very kind of you. Thanks, Trey. I've got so many good things to tell you about today, especially yeah, that... affecting the Arab community. So shall I get started? Well, let me start by just saying that, you know, what was amazing to me to have you on as a guest was that you reached out to the Arab community. You wanted to include them. You wanted to bring them in because you, I mean, I know the Arab community. They're not that organized sometimes. They're not that cohesive. But you you looked past all that and you said, you know what? You could do something to help them. You started this unique program to get refunds of overpayment for taxes. You could have done that for everybody and you did. But then you reached out to, to the Arabs. Tell us why you did that. Well, you know, I, I grew up ethnic, so I, I grew up speaking Greek. You get to first grade and people are speaking English and you're like with a thumb in your mouth, like what, are they, what language is this? So I grew up in a culture much like the Arab culture where everybody lives in the same house. You know, there's 13 people in the house. There's 50 people for dinner every night, you know. Uh, one person's cooking 25 things and if you don't go to the mosque or the church every night and go to, you know, ethnic school after regular school, you know, we used to call it American school and Greek school, Arab school and American school, you know, uh, you just don't survive and, and you have to marry your own. And there's certain things that you have to do or you get ostracized. So, so you so, understood, you understand yeah. the Arab community. I, I understand how they think. I understand how they dress. I understand, you know, why they go to their mom. I, I get it because you have to grow up an ethnic hyphenated American to appreciate what it is that you're trying to do. And it's pretty simple. It's let's preserve what? Our identity. And, you know, I right. mean, if you think about it, the problems that we're having today is that people don't have an identity. So who who's their identity? 
here's this kid who's fatherless and homeless, and the identity becomes a gang structure. Have you ever right. heard of anybody Arab or Greek belonging to a gang? Very few. Oh. But every community has some problems, but you're right. <laughs> Why not? Because there's a group that they belong That's to. True. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> there's a group that they belong to, and if they step outside the norms and the values of the group, they get beat up on and they get ostracized and they get ostracized quickly. So for me, always hearing other languages was really something that I was attuned to. So in Chicago, actually within the county of Cook, there are 127 spoken languages. When I first became treasurer, I couldn't understand why on the due date, there were all these people downstairs in line when they had all this other time to pay. So I went downstairs and I realized that no one in that line, and there must have been five or 600 people, no one was speaking English. People had purses, they had little bags, and no one was speaking English. They were speaking all these languages. So I went back upstairs and I said to my chief at the time, I said, we need to run census data. He goes, well, why are we running census data? It's the busiest day of the year. I said, because nobody's speaking English. I said, I don't know what's going on down there. And I said, everybody's got cash. I said, they're in there with purses and cash. And, so, and let me just let me just set the stage before you continue, because that's a great story. But I want people to understand you're in this big, massive building, the Cook County building, which is uh, uh, kind of uh, connected to City Hall, right down in the center of Chicago. And the first floor, you have all these offices where people come in and either pay their taxes or they check on their taxes. And you see all these people and they don't speak any English and they don't understand the process. Nothing. And you right away figure we have to do something right what did you do so mike shine at the time was my deputy and he runs the census data and i'm sitting in my office and he comes in and he says there's 127 languages i said wow really? they're all downstairs and i said and they all own homes and they're going to keep getting in line down here and asking questions and speaking these other languages unless we do something about it so immediately, we picked the top 27 languages, wrote up a brochure on each one, and then over time, so if you were Arab and you came to my counter, here's what happens. When a foreigner comes to the counter, Arab, Polish, Chinese, Spanish, they don't come alone. They come with three other people. <laughs> okay. They never come by. So now the office is full of, you know, four Hispanics, four Arabs, four, four Ukrainians, four Greeks, four Romanians. So instead of having translators, we would hand them these brochures and they felt comfortable. So now we decreased the traffic. But as we decreased the traffic, what we did was we became the most sophisticated website in the country for government. We get as many as 2 million visitors a month. And we can tell you how many people download in Arabic because it's in Arabic. So what do we do? We, we tell people going back 20 years, whether wow. or not they overpaid on their taxes and we're sitting on like 87 million there. And wow. they Before you be before we get into the overpayment, I want to go back to this, what you did, because it really is sophisticated. 
you recognize that there was a problem in your office and probably a problem in every county and city yes. and state office, they all face the same thing. A large segment of the population come in with their native ethnic languages. They don't understand what's happening. You have to then go to great lengths to try to understand them. It's a lot of work for you. It's a lot of work for them. So you take your website and you expand it to translate it into 127 languages. Right. So anybody can go there in whatever language, basically, and From any get place the answers the to get the answers that they need without standing four hours or three hours in line and try to explain to you what it is they need. That Why didn't anybody else think of that? I don't know, but what I did beyond that is this is the front page of the website, which is cookcountytreasure.com. And we picked the top six languages here, which is English, Spanish, Polish, Cantonese, Mandarin, and Arabic. So right. now you can punch on a video in, in Arabic. We hired a professional translator after we did the graphics. We hired a professional Arab translator, even though Hassan is my Cook County deputy treasurer. I have a deputy treasurer in most of these communities. So he gives me info about what to do. We put this video up so that it could be linked to Arab websites and mosques so that people don't have to come downtown because nobody wants to come into the city. So, so now this very complicated process, even if you don't understand it after you go to your phone and your iPad and your computer, you can punch on your phone, your iPad or your computer Arabic and everything about what we do shows up in Arabic. Why is that important? Because most people don't understand the property tax system in English. So if you're talking to someone who's Arab speaking or Greek speaking or Spanish speaking, it's just easier for them to understand it. So let me give you an example. You don't wake up in Palestine in the morning and say, did I get an exemption? I mean, you just don't do that. So there are thousands of Arabs who don't have exemptions because they don't know what an exemption is. They don't right. what they don't even know what a disability exemption is because you you know it's a funny thing. I remember one time when um the Democratic Convention was here and Daly was mayor. And all the restaurants on Halstead Street were hosting um different states from different parts of the country for the Democratic Convention. And they sent me to Greek town because not one Greek restaurant had a wheelchair accessible bathroom. So I went over there and I said to the Greeks, you've got to get wheelchair accessible bathrooms. And you know what they said? What? When was the last time you saw a Greek in a wheelchair? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Greeks are in the wheelchair. And what? Right. Like up. a lot of ethnic groups, if you have somebody yeah. that's disabled, they don't need a wheelchair. They... No, don't think about it. The, the Arabs would say the same thing. When was the last time you saw an Arab in a wheelchair? Because they say, they... and just so, for our listeners, because we have people all over the country in Detroit and Michigan, Pulsed Street is a huge, probably one of the first ethnic uh, right. uh, areas in the city of Chicago one of several, but Greek town was very popular going back 
as far as I know, to the 60s, when I was a kid, we'd go to Greek town to get the closest to Arab culture. So you, the Democratic Convention comes to Chicago, they send people to Greek town, and what? And then they discover so, this problem, and you have to go talk to them. Yeah, they send me over there. And all the Greeks get really upset with me because now they have to remodel their restaurants. They have like three weeks to do it, right? That's funny. Before the Democratic Convention to be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, what are they doing? Tell the mayor I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? But there's there's certain things about all these ethnic groups, if you're also ethnic and growing, that you understand. And, right. and part of it is the language and the customs that go with it. So Arabs and Greeks don't understand exemptions. They don't understand that if they're over 65, they're going to get more money off their bill. They don't understand if they're over 65 and making under 65,000 that they're going to get more off their bill. And they don't understand that if they're disabled, they can get money off their bill. So they can claim these exemptions on their property taxes, but they have to do it. They have they to have fill out the form. They, they, they have they, to apply. They won't do it. They because won't they don't do it. Understand they don't it. do it because they don't know. Got so it. Now, now they're starting to know because once you get the guy who's heading up the mosque to get $3,000. They all start, it's like chitter chatter. It spreads. Yeah, and they go out, now they go out to dinner. You know, they go out to dinner in Bridgeview and they're sitting in restaurants and say, hey, did you hear Maria Pappas is $133,000? Look at this Arab video. And they start talking, you know, like, so I, without any, you know, real work at all, even though I do go to a lot of their events, I become a celebrity because I recognize them. I appreciate who they are. I, I respect the culture. You know, I, I respect the fact that they have certain customs that work. And I should add that this is not a community that's unaware. The Arab community is aware and they're, yes. they're a voting community. I keep telling yeah. my colleagues, you, you need to like do a wake up call. You need to acknowledge who this group is and what it is that they bring to the table. I mean, I go to a mosque out there and I bet on the way in, 50 people speak to me who are doctors and lawyers and accountants that I know who I never knew were Muslims. They're like, Maria, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm giving out money. What are you doing here? I'm praying. I said, well, it's Friday afternoon. What did you close your office? They're like, yeah, you know. And that and that's interesting because a lot you're right. A lot of politicians and elected officials take certain ethnic communities for granted. They don't see them. They're not that active. But Arab Americans are big voters, in, in especially in Cook County and in the state of Illinois. But you went one step further. In addition to engaging them in this process of setting up 127 translations on your website, CookCountyTreasurer.com. Um, you also said, hey, there are a lot of people that overpay their taxes and you want to help them get that money back. So you start a refund program for different ethnic communities that you think need the most help to engage the, the process the and the get list. their money. And the Arabs were at the top of the list. How much money do you have an idea? First of all, overall, how much money do you think that Arabs got back and overall for the county? How much money did people overpay? Because that's unusual to hear a I politician want to give assess, money back. If I were to guess what I owe them, 
it's probably between 10 and 15 million on the oh, low end. Just on in the, the Arab community. Yeah, because they're businessmen. So here's what happens. They do a restaurant closing on a shopping center and they're, you know, they just want to get to the next restaurant and close the next lease. So they get at the refinance closing, all of these papers. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I don't know what I'm signing. So they're signing, signing, signing. So at the end of the signing, the both finance companies agree to pay the next tax bill. Now the Arab owner of the shopping center gets a tax bill on November 1st, payable December 1st, and he pays it. So now my website will tell you that there's three people who paid. So if the bill was $30,000, I owe this person 60,000. And that's because because the bank paid it at the closing. Both banks paid. Both banks the owners, both the owners banks still paid. get both banks pay. The owner still gets a uh, notice that these taxes are due because the payment's in process. So they and forgot. He, they and forgot. they pay it. They pay. So now I've got three payments of ninety thousand total when the guy only owed thirty. So I've got these people who go to my website, and you know you're in the right place because there's a picture of the house or the lot or the commercial property. It's they can simple. find their property online. They scroll down and it says refund from 2022. Wow. Goes back 20 wow. years and they'll tell and you. you. And you've managed to identify in this process of going to the mosque, going to the Christian Arab churches, explaining this to them yeah. that they can apply and identify this money and get the money back. Yeah. And you say it's as much as 15 million that's coming back. I would say that's to probably what we owe Arab Americans. It could be higher. Wow. So wow. we're working on it. Hassan's out there and he's, he's constantly, you know, telling people and we're constantly giving out bags. We've got uh, QR cards. We've got QR cards in Arabic and English that we go, you know, when I go to a restaurant, I hand out these cards. You know. And, and I don't want to miss the point to emphasize to our listeners again, another great thing that you've done, but you hired individuals from, from some of the major communities to help at, act as liaisons yeah, to I've your office it. in that community. Hassan Nijam is in the Arab community. You have people from the Asian community, the Hispanic the community, community, a Syrian community, you know, Hispanics and everything. I, everything. I've never seen any elected official do that. Usually when a government official has money, the last thing they want to do is give it back to the taxpayers. They're going well, to keep but, it and hope they don't know. But you're sitting yeah, but there doing the exact happens. opposite. Yeah, I get it. Why. You know, if they don't claim the money, if the money's not claimed, the money goes to the government. Right. So I'm looking at this because once they do pay like their regular taxes, if they overpay within 30 days, it has to go to the city or Cicero or Northbrook or Glenview. So now they're sitting on an interest-free loan. If you, Ray Hanania, overpay, I have right. to go back and tell Palos, give me Ray's money back. So now they're short. You follow me? Right. Sitting on an interest-free loan. So they don't want it. They don't want to be short. So, so they're so not going to say you know nothing. What? That doesn't make you popular, though, does it? With a lot of government you know officials. What? You know, I'm 74 years old. I'm gray-haired grandmother. I'm 20 pounds overweight, and I don't really care who likes me. <laughs> I'm done. 
You have a great attitude. I've known you for 30 years or more. Yeah. You have a great I attitude, Maria. Always concerned about people. Let's go back to the other question I wanted to ask you. I, what You have such a great uh, uh, background, your education. Tell us a little bit about that. You ended up in politics, and you're a good person who applied everything that you learned in a professional way to politics. Most people would apply it to themselves and just have a happy, wealthy life. But you decided to go in public life. Tell us about your background. Well, I, I buy, uh, I buy uh, this is my puppy. She's barking. I, <laughs> I really am a shrink. I am a, a, a very, very good private practice here in Chicago for almost um, 15 years. And I have taught psychology in eight countries. I had a flourishing practice here, and I was wow. testifying in court, which led me to law school. One of the judges said, you ought to go to law school. So I went to law school. I didn't tell anybody. But when I got out, the newspaper published my name as a lawyer. And so these hundreds of psychologist clients that I had came to me as a lawyer. So now I never went to the Daily Center. I was just the person who got the business, and I had a partner. Who, who went to court, but I had a very successful practice. And then one day somebody came in and said, you should run for the county board because it's about jails and hospitals, which I was interested in. And I ran and I won, but nobody knew who I was. So now I'm on the county board, which is when I met you and Dick Phelan was the president. And we used right. to go out all the time because I never owed anybody anything. So then right. that went on for eight years of chronic and constant warfare. And then Rosewell, the current treasurer, was indicted at that time. And they said, you know, we need you to get on there and straighten it up. And I did. And I went. There was $30 million worth of checks on the floor. They were 100 and some odd million off. There was no email. The county was a mess. There was no website, no email, no Y2K. There was nothing. And I sat down, shut up, and it took me, you know, all of 20 years to fix it. But I'm not done. I'm just getting ready to institute. Um, I'm. I just am hiring. He starts next week. Probably one of the top artificial intelligence guys in the nation, and a couple of Python programmers. So stay tuned, because I'm going to be the most sophisticated artificial intelligence office in the nation. First, that that would be a first for government. Just even the word putting intelligence into government is going to yeah. be unique. You've it's had it. All yeah. your life in politics and government, yeah. but this not a lot of electricity. This is going to be my swan song going out the door in eight years. You know, nice. There'll probably be 40 people left in the office. <laughs> Maria, and just again, our listeners, this is Maria Pappas. She's a Cook County treasurer. She's a former member of the Cook County board for a number of years. Um, she reached out to the all the ethnic communities, 127 of them, when she realized that a lot of ethnic groups weren't getting the process and understanding it. So she made it easy for them to understand it by translating everything on her website into 127 languages. If you find any website that has more than two translations, English and Spanish, I'm shocked sometimes. I don't see that. 127 is amazing. Well, and stay, you stay tuned because my mission over the next eight years is to have an Arab phone system. That's going to be phenomenal. And the most important thing is you didn't want to leave anybody out of the no circle. You reached out to Arab Americans. You helped them understand that they were overpaying. 
and you found help them find 15 million in overpayments and it could be even more this is a process that continues correct yeah, continues every day amazing every right. every time there's a, a due date people overpay by at least 30 million wow every time there's and that's due. twice a year that they yeah. pay the taxes right like seriously wow. you can see that's it coming. we set up a program where we stop the second payment but there's 30 million we can't even stop wow that's amazing all right my guest maria Pappas. Good to see you. always good to see you you're the Cook best county treasurer maria thank you so much for joining us see you soon all right we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back right after these messages arabnews.com bringing you breaking news from across the middle east and the latest on arabs in america get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at arabnews.com Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Life for Relief and Development has now been rated as one of the best charities for humanitarian aid. Life's humanitarian projects span the globe, and Life is celebrating its 30th anniversary of providing essential life-saving aid to people and communities in 36 countries, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. Where there is life, there is hope. And when disaster occurs here or around the world, including being one of the first responders to the Turkey-Syria earthquake crisis, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. We are looking to help the earthquake victims, and we take 0% overhead on emergency donations. So please help improve these efforts. Learn more about our involvement to help the helpless and bring hope where it's needed most. And make your tax-deductible donation to Life for Relief and Development now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. That's 248-424-7493. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248 248- Two nine nine three nine three seven. You have been listening to the Ray Hanania Radio Show, Season 3, Episode 23, October 4, 2023. Broadcast on the U.S. Arab Radio Network in Detroit and Washington, D.C. Sponsored by Arab News, the voice of a changing region at ArabNews.com. You can listen to this podcast 
and all of our podcasts by visiting arabnews.com slash Ray Radio Show. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye, everybody.